DePaul University Center for Journalism, Integrity, and Excellence hosts an annual FOIA Fellows Conference where we bring in young investigative journalists to train them in navigating the wide world of the Freedom of Information Act. This year, it was held March 3rd and 4th, and today's episode is all about FOIA, how it can be used to peek behind closed doors to see what public agencies are up to. The center's graduate assistant, Justin Myers, sat down with two of our FOIA fellows, along with myself and my colleague, Don Mosley, to talk about all things FOIA. When we come back, I'll be passing the mic to him to lead the conversation. This is Justin Myers. Tim Spears is an evening anchor and investigative reporter at ABC 57 WBND. Carly Luca is a producer and investigative reporter at NBC 16 WNDU. Both are located in South Bend, Indiana. Though their careers are similar, their experience with FOIA is not. Tim is no stranger to filing requests, but... Carly is fresh to the idea of FOIA. Tim Spears explains what it's been like to navigate FOIA in South Bend. If you're not super familiar with South Bend, most famous for University of Notre Dame, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, that's where he was mayor when he was running for president. Um, I anchor our 10 and 11 o'clock newscasts and also do investigative pieces uh, that type of stuff, I guess, that this kind of workshop is focused on. What kind of place is South Bend in terms of being a reporter and having to cover it? It's interesting um, because so I started at this station in April uh, last year and I was in Charlotte, North Carolina for four years. So South Bend it's very it's very much like a much smaller city than Charlotte, obviously, but it's uh, uh, because it's a historic city, like it was a big factory town in the 60s. It's where Studebaker uh, manufacturing was. Um, so it has the infrastructure of a large metropolitan city in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to government. But it's it's a small town. So uh, much like city of Chicago, uh, it has very strong executive power. Um, but then when you go to staffing, they're not really staffed in a lot of ways, and especially in the surrounding areas, uh, to deal with a whole lot of media. Uh, and also whether it's a... Uh, I don't know whether it's an influence from Chicago, whether it is just because it is a very executive power based government structure, but also they're very closed off uh, in terms of and, you know, South Bend itself is pretty open to the media. But like a lot of those surrounding communities, they don't put out anything <laughs> if they can avoid doing it. Um, but it's a it's an interesting place to work. There's a lot to do there, obviously. 
how do you go out and get information from these reluctant government bodies? And have you used FOIA to attempt to do that before? Yeah. And one of the so one of the things I've actually been learning is one of the uh, is the regional differences. So in Indiana, uh, along with FOIA, which is, you know, the federal law in our state, we have APRA, uh, which is Access to Public Records Act. Uh, which uh, pretty much covers most of the local governments. And it's difficult (laughs) because – and so I use it on a regular basis. The most common way I try to use it is mostly when it comes to money. Uh, So we're in a redistricting fight like a lot of people are in St. Joseph County, uh, which covers South Bend. Um, So getting the amount that – you know, lawyers are charging and how much are county commissioners spending on a redistricting fight that may or may not, depending on which voter you're talking about, be legitimate. Uh, the The thing we're always running into, though, which has been one of the interesting things about this conference, has been uh, deliberative material, which anything basically that goes into a decision-making process is deliberative material. That pretty much covers everything except for the decision itself. And the decision itself is the press release. (laughs) So when you're investigating a story and you're like, well, I want this, this, and this, and they say, well, that's deliberative. There's not a whole lot you can do to it. Um, And we've been trying to find ways to, and that's what this has been especially helpful in, is finding ways to try to narrow your searches and ask for things that uh, I guess that they can't throw into catch-all terms. Um, but it's tough. No, mo- most of the ways that we find stories honestly is is through viewer feedback and things like that, like finding individuals, finding profiles or characters, however you want to word it. But people with issues, people facing issues, this is what they're dealing with. Hey, government official, why aren't you dealing with this? Or what are you dealing with it? And kind of doing it that way. And then we've almost used public records as a follow-up to see how they've dealt with things. With most states' FOIA laws, they're advertised as wanting to increase transparency between the government and the people. It sounds like you're saying that even though that may be the intention, a lot of government agencies don't always want that transparency. I... and. Number one, I think a lot of them don't want it. And it's not its not that in theory they don't want it. I think in theory, they all want transparency. They all want a transparent government. They all want an open government. In practice, it gets in the way of their job. And, and also in addition to that, they're not staffed for it. Uh, we In South Bend, uh, so the legal officer that you go through for APRA requests – they get more than 3,000 requests a year. They have one person who's in charge of getting in contact with all the different FOIA officers in different departments uh, who then filter it back to the media. They're not staffed for it. Now, that's the biggest city in our area. When you go to areas that, you know, they have a, a town of 7,000 people and maybe a, a volunteer city government or, you know, in effect, um, it's just they're, they really – they can't really keep up with a heavy weight of requests. And with the way technology is today, you know, you you hear that 3,000 request number, 
the overwhelming majority of that is from the public because they have access to ask for the exact same information. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, they, they shouldn't or that anybody shouldn't. Uh, if anything, I think more people should be doing this kind of thing. Um, but the problem is, is just anybody, any given day can ask for a million things. And so because of that, there's not a great infrastructure to deal with that as the technology has changed. For Carly Luca, the idea of FOIA has been a bit scary in the past. So in your investigative reporting, have you ever FOIA'd? You know, I haven't since I've been doing investigative reports because I've been lucky that most of the time when I need to get information from officials, they have been forthcoming or I can find it another way. Um, but I do think now that I'm learning more about it, it will definitely come in handy. Do you have any apprehension? Yeah, I have huge hesitancy uh, because I think it's sort of seen as a punishment or as something that you do when you're not getting what you want out of a source. And so for me... I was worried that there would even be backlash. People wouldn't want to speak to not only me, but other journalists in our newsroom. So there is kind of this implication of, you know, holding somebody's feet to the flames and you're, you want to do that strategically and not every single time you need information. What, with your investigative reporting, what previous work have you done? And really, how, how has FOIA fellows maybe made you rethink or come up with new ideas for how to approach uh, potential stories in the future. Sure. So I think good investigative reporting is a combination of having the data that you need that maybe other people are not aware of, but then also the emotional impact of that data or whatever the story might be. Um, so the emotional side you can get from people who are impacted by whatever the story is. But the data, you know, having another way to get that data that's official um, is definitely going to be a huge help. Um, I recently did a story where I was looking at autopsy results that I had gotten from a family. And uh, in that case, the coroner would not speak with me. And if I knew um, then what I know now about FOIA requests, I think I would have definitely been able to get more official on the record response from that coroner or at least be able to say with confidence, you know, here's what I should have been able to get that they wouldn't give me and, you know, go take it to another level and talk to the public access counselor. And at the time, I was hesitant to do that because I wasn't really sure, you know, if I could do that or how to do that. And so I think just those little details are really going to help the community feel like we as journalists are able to hold people accountable when necessary. And what's learning like on the job? With FOIA, did you in school, did they talk about it in the newsroom? Is it something that's talked about, or are you just kind of thrown in there and expected to immediately know? Yeah, I think um, everybody comes into the newsroom with a different education level, and if you go to a really great journalism school, you do come in with some knowledge. But I think in the in the newsroom, there's a hesitancy like we talked about, um, and it's not something – it's a long-term process. It's a commitment. And a lot of times when you're a reporter doing day turns or even a producer who's, you know, working on today's show, you don't necessarily think about what's to come in a month from now, six months from now. But when you put on that investigative reporter hat, you do need to be doing that. Um, so I think that having somebody like that in your newsroom who's committed to those longer term pieces is really crucial um, for the community and, and being able to share those stories. What were your expectations going into this conference and what have been some of the biggest moments of revelation or quotes that you've heard? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, I expected the nuts and bolts of, you know, how to do a request and when to do a request. And I figured we would talk about, you know, open door policy and meetings and transparency and all of those great things that we talk about in journalism. But I think uh, I think we've done a really good job of talking about, you know, the heart of it as well and, and why we're doing what we're doing and the fact that we are we're not necessarily trying to constantly grill people or do gotcha journalism, but that we're actually trying to say, you know, hey, it's fine to request the mayor's schedule every single month so that you know what they have going on. And you might find a story that isn't necessarily a, oh, the mayor had lunch with this person kind of thing, but more so, hey, did you know the mayor went and volunteered this day? So there's all kinds of opportunities that you could stumble into that you can interpret lots of different ways that I don't think FOIA has to have this negative connotation that I was kind of coming into this thinking, ooh, I'm going to learn how to do this big, bad, you know, paperwork thing. This is only the big stories where you ever hear FOIA even mentioned. And I think it stands out to us the most because it is these groundbreaking stories. But, you know, not all news is bad news. There's good things that do happen. Exactly. And, you know, in a market that's a little bit smaller than here in Chicago, I think, I can take it, take this information and maybe instead of just dropping FOIA requests on people, I can actually talk to them and say, hey, you know, I recently learned this and this is how I'd like to apply it. What do you think? And talk to people at the mayor's office or the police department about that and how I plan to utilize it moving forward so that they're fully in the loop. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be this secret, you know, thing I'm sending to your inbox and you have no idea it's coming. So you report in South Bend. What's the dynamic like there as a reporter? How accessible is the mayor? How accessible is the government? And where does FOIA come in as a potential other entry to figuring out, you know, what goes on? Yeah, I think um, I think the government, the, like our city council and our county council is seemingly pretty transparent. But a lot of the times we're covering them, it's at meetings before and after getting, you know, interviews about what they talked about at that meeting. Um, which, of course, is as part of an agenda that they've decided on. So I think one thing that FOIA allows you to do is maybe dig into some of the other issues that they might be discussing and be able to talk about those as well. And um, we currently are in this transition of, you know, Pete Buttigieg was our mayor and he's known nationally as the transportation secretary now. So people know about him and know about his work in South Bend. And he was very visible and out in the community and involved. And our current mayor, um, is also involved and out in the community, but he is more reserved and probably more of a shy person. So I think this is a potential way to open that door of, hey, we want to know more about what you're doing day to day uh, because it potentially could be great work, but we don't really know a lot about it because you're not that public persona who's going to run for president, you know? Okay, going back to that, you know, <laughs> we're not just digging for the bad news, but also, you know, who are you? Yes. The representative of our city. Absolutely. <laughs> Throughout their careers, Carol Marine and Don Mosley tackled stories involving politics, public corruption, and organized crime. They've been honored with Peabody, DuPont Columbia, and Emmy Awards for their stories, many of which involved a FOIA request or two. Their work has spanned multiple newsrooms, notably NBC5 News in Chicago. Now, they're retired from reporting and co-directing DePaul's Center for Journalism, Integrity, and Excellence full-time, which, in addition to producing this podcast, organizes FOIA Fellows. Whose idea was it to start FOIA Fellows? Actually, it was our program chair, Jason Martin, when we were just starting the center. We were looking, to looking for things to make the center unique, and he suggested that we do a 
uh, seminar on FOIA. So that's how it all started five years ago. Doesn't sound so sexy, does it? I mean, FOIA. But it really, it really turned out to be, I think, a pretty sexy, interesting, stimulating event. Had people who practice it every day. And FOIA is like a muscle. If you're a runner, you know that you can't run five miles the first time. You got to do a block, two blocks, half a mile. FOIA is one of those things that you have to do it often. You have to refine what you're asking for because government agencies claim to believe in transparency, but they often do not practice it. But to the point to the question, yeah, we had some great people, practitioners from television, from print, from digital, from radio. Uh, and what we found over the years is that these great investigative journalists in Chicago are so generous in their time from Ben Bradley and Lourdes Duarte at WGN to Dave McKinney at WBEZ to McDumkey at ProPublica. Lisa Parker at NBC. And what they all do is they come in and take these young, relatively new journalists. Our, our, our journalists that came for the FOIA fellows were between a year and six years in the business. And they've started to use it. They've started to press their fire departments or their mayor's office on getting information to them. But these were people who knew all of the kind of special skills that that can take. With teaching a class and, you know, at DePaul, classes are only 10 weeks. And the thing I hear most often in my classes is, you know, we can't really file a FOIA request because you probably won't hear back in time. What's, you know, as a teacher, what's your, what's the hardest part for you to teach FOIA? It's the relentlessness because you're right. You're probably not going to get it. You're, you're going to file your FOIA. They're supposed to answer in five days. They'll ask for another five-day extension. Then they'll tell you it's unduly burdensome and they can't meet it or they don't have anybody in the office to fill it. It's your relentlessness because your class, your quarter may be over, but you're going to go into another quarter and or a job in journalism. And that FOIA is going to maybe bear fruit. So it isn't a waste of time. And if you're in journalism classes, you're doing other things to report out a story besides just having it rely on a FOIA request. I also think that students, just like the fellows that we bring in for our FOIA fellows, are intimidated by the process. And one of the things that we try to in class and one of the things we strive to do in our FOIA fellows is to get them over that intimidation and get them practiced because, as we tell everybody, it's like a muscle you got to use it and use it and use it to perfect it. And do either of you remember your first FOIA that you ever filed? My first FOIA really was for my FBI file because Don and I had been doing stories investigating corruption in Chicago and had developed some pretty good sources. And we get a phone call one day from someone in the federal government who shall always go unnamed to say, the prosecutors, the federal prosecutors have gone to Washington to see if they can uh, do a pen register on your file, on your phone, to figure out who we were calling. And so I decided I needed to know what government had been accumulating about me and my reporting. So I FOIA'd it. What's one story 
that you both used Foria for that you think was especially successful in bringing to light things that the government probably didn't want you to know? Laquan McDonald. Absolutely. The young man who was shot 16 times by a Chicago police officer named Jason Van Dyke. What we FOIA'd for, because there were all sorts of officers on the scene that night, was were they using their body cameras and the cameras inside their squad cars? And where were the recordings? Because they were all supposed to be recorded. And what we would learn again and again, and we were relentless in this FOIA, was that some of them never turned the audio on, some of them put the batteries in backwards. In other words, there were some concerted efforts to defeat the system of recording what was happening on a crime scene. And that ended up being a pretty provocative discussion of whether the police were honestly honoring their responsibility to use that equipment. We foreigned a good number of things in Laquan McDonald, including the settlement agreement where the city agreed to pay the family $5 million, emails from city officials six months before anybody else had emails. We had emails uh, about the process of Laquan McDonald in the police department and in the law department. We uh, foreigned uh, work orders on cars to see was their car operating properly? Was the camera operating properly? Uh, we foreigned everything we could. We even foiled the manual by which they service the equipment to see what was required in that. And that took a litany of FOIAs and it took some time, but all of it yielded one more story, one more story, one more story. And, and for us, it was a window that was opening slowly, but it let a lot of fresh air in. And to that point is we tell our FOIA fellows, and we tell our students, investigative reporting and using FOIA is like building a jigsaw puzzle. You have to build it one piece at a time. But with readers that want this information the next day, how do you kind of battle that impatience while still being patient? You take your viewer, your listener, your reader through your process. And so every time you do a story or a follow on the story, you explain to them, you were here six months ago, 12 months ago, that this is what you did this is why it still hasn't resulted in an outcome, but this is the additional thing that you learn. And sometimes it ends up being pretty repetitive because the new thing you learn is a pretty small nugget, but it's enough to keep the story alive while you keep pressing for the information. And was there ever a time where you tried to FOIA and it just failed? Always. There are times when you FOIA and fail. And what, what governments count on is that we'll lose interest because you're a working daily reporter, you're hammering it out, you've got five balls in the air and you're trying to see which one is going to materialize into a story on that particular day. And so they also count on us becoming disinterested. And what we urge and what we urged our young reporters at the conference to do is to constantly let the FOIA officer know they haven't disappeared they're still banging on their door. But all FOIAs don't lead to stories, and that's something that, that young reporters need to know, and older reporters as well. Every FOIA is not going to uh, give you a Pulitzer Prize or a Peabody Award-winning story, 
Uh, you have to look at the data, analyze the data, interrogate the data, as Carol says, and then determine if you have the story. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the other side of the mic today. <laughs> hey, you, are, you are welcome, Justin. You are welcome. Thank you. FOIA is indeed a muscle, and though Tim Spears is used to the process, he admits that there's still a lot to learn. The thing to me that's been the most interesting is how much they say, how much they've addressed the times when you do get rejected. Because uh, we had somebody from the Illinois Press Association who said, essentially, okay, if you're going to the obvious place and they're telling you no for whatever reason, that they don't have it or they don't want to give it to you, he's like, I'll, I'll bet you dollars to donuts. There's another department has that exact same record. You just need to know who to ask for it. Uh, and even in the way that it interplays with uh, private entities who private entities, they're not subject to FOIA. But how does it interplay with a, with a public agency? And how can you use um, those relationships to then get insight onto private entities? That's what's been interesting to me. Um, because I think that's something that I've run into a lot where maybe I've gone too often to the obvious places and I've been knocking on the front door to where maybe there was a side door, a back door, or what have you. Uh, and then also with the public, private entities, excuse me, I mean, the largest employer in the South Bend region is also the largest tourist attraction, the largest uh, branding uh, aspect of the region, which is the University of Notre Dame. It's private. But now I've been kind of brainstorming, well, how does it how does it connect to public and in a way that I can get specific and build piece by piece? So instead of asking for, you know, the whole painting, maybe I can or I mean the whole puzzle, excuse me, the whole picture, maybe I can get a few puzzle pieces that then help me piece something else together. I think that's been the most interesting part for me too. It's almost like a choose your own adventure book. If you go down the wrong thread, turn back a few pages, try a different way. That might not get you there, but at least you tried. I, and and that's the thing is because I, I think not just myself, but from a lot of the questions I'm hearing from the other journalists, I think we all kind of assume, hey, you know, it's a digital era. Why don't you just have a list of this? Like, get me that. Get me that. <laughs> and it should just be an easy thing. And it's not. But uh, figuring if you can be creative and figure out, all right, if if there's a homicide, for instance, instead of just asking the police department for that one homicide report or, you know, police report related to the homicide. Um, OK, they took an ambulance. What can the ambulance tell me if it was also if it started as a medical call? Uh, what can the fire department tell me? You know, just different ways that if you're creative and you think of all the different things that it touches, uh, uh, you can go through different avenues. It's It's been very insightful. And in a way, I didn't expect because I really thought, I mean, and this is a problem with, you know, I think all journalism teaching in a lot of ways is when you when you think of it from a theoretical standpoint, it is one thing when it gets to practicality and boots on the ground and, okay, yeah, you can generally tell me file a FOIA, but what does that actually look like? What's the specific wording? Things like that. This has been tremendous.
Especially a news cycle that's never predictable. <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you again so much. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been Justin Myers. So You Want to Be a Reporter is produced by myself with music by Max Duggan. You can follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have an ethical topic you'd like us to talk about in an upcoming episode? Tag us on Twitter at DePaulCJIE with your ideas.